Hello. Thank you for listening to our podcast today. We hope that you will be encouraged and it builds your faith. Thanks for listening. Me, uh, chapter 30 and verse 19. I want to read a passage of scripture there this morning and then we'll go to a couple of other places in the scripture. A couple of weeks ago, I began a series on freedom. And uh, this morning, I want to continue that series uh, on freedom. And the next several weeks, we're going to be talking about living in freedom. I know a lot of people that are saved, but they're not free. Every week, they come into my office, and they're born again. They love God. They've had a born-again experience. But they, they have not walked to the level of abundant life in which God has promised us. We know the Bible says that who the Son sets free is free indeed. And I believe there's a level of freedom in the believer's life uh, that we can live in, that there can be an abundance of living, a joy, a peace. There can be a freedom that we walk in. Many times I believe some people are hindered uh, to fulfill everything God has for them because they're not living in a life of freedom. And so I want to encourage you through this series that I believe that God is going to help us uh, learn what true freedom is and what true walking in freedom. Uh, if we're going to change a world and have an impact on the world we live in today, we have to understand what it's like to walk in true freedom, what it is to be free, what it is to be free in your mind, to be free in your body and your soul, what it means to have joy and peace and to live in that joy and peace. And so last week we began, or a couple of weeks ago, we began this series talking about the tree, the two trees in the garden, and the choice that God gives us. How many are thankful for the choice that God gives us free will to choose? And so just like Adam and Eve, we have the free will to choose whether or not we're going to choose life or whether we're going to choose death. Here in the book of Deuteronomy chapter 30, and verse 19, it's a very familiar passage of Scripture to some of you. And the Word of God says, I call all heaven and earth as a witness today against you that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life that both you and your descendants may live. How many know that's a powerful Scripture? The Bible says he sets before us today life and death. He says, choose life so that you, not just you, but your descendants also may live. And so there's freedom in coming and choosing life. Turn with me to the book of Galatians chapter 5. I want to read a passage of scripture in chapter 5 and verse 13. In the book of Galatians chapter 5 and verse 13. It says, For you, brethren... Having been called to liberty, only to do not use your liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but, but through love serve one another. For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. In other words, brethren, for you, brethren, have been called to liberty. All of us have been called to freedom. Some translations say called to a expressed freedom is what one translation says. That we are called to a freedom, a liberty. There is a liberty that is in Christ. We're called to that freedom. But only do not use that liberty as an opportunity to satisfy the flesh. 
How many know that we're living in an hour when men want God, but they also want the flesh? Y'all with me this morning? That men want to live, they want spiritual things, but they also want to hang on to the things of the desires of the flesh. But here Paul is telling them, saying, hey, do not use the liberty by which you've been given in Christ to go after the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. In other words, what Paul is saying is that the freedom that you have in Christ is not for the opportunity of the flesh to gain, but the freedom that you have in Christ is an opportunity for you to draw closer to God. For the word says that when we draw close to God, he draws close to us. And so we began this series talking about the two trees. We began talking about about how that the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, that if you eat of the deadly fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, that when you partake of that fruit, it leads to two things. It leads to shame and it leads to uh, shame and it leads to victimization. We talked about that, that eating of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil does nothing but bring, uh, but bring a, a, a deadliness into our lives. So this morning I want to talk about, I, I mostly talked about the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which was forbidden by Adam and Eve, but they partook of that tree. But this morning I want to talk a little bit about the tree of life, that there is the tree of life. Of course, uh, we know what the tree of life is. I told you a couple of weeks ago that Christ is the tree of life. Jesus is the New Testament version of the tree of life. And so he is the tree of life. And so I want to talk about the tree of life this morning. I want to talk a little bit about that tree. And I want to explore uh, what it, a little bit deeper. What does it mean to partake of the tree of life this morning? What does it mean to live in the tree of life? How does that affect you? How does that touch your life when we talk about the tree of life this morning? Well, we know in Genesis chapter 2, and uh, in Genesis chapter 2 and verse 9, the Bible tells us that out of the ground the Lord made every tree grow that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was also in the midst of the garden. In other words, God had created all trees in the garden, the tree of life included, for food and pleasantness. And Adam and Eve could eat from any of those trees. Matter of fact, they ate from the tree of life. I believe that tree of life is what sustained them even while they were in the garden. The Bible says it was set in the midst of the garden. In the midst of the garden. But then the Bible tells us that in Genesis chapter 3, verses 22 through 24, so the Lord drove them out of the garden. After they had ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, after they came to the awareness of their nakedness, after the glory of God had lifted, they realized that they were naked. The Bible said God drove them out of the garden, and, and, and he drove them out of the garden and, and so that they would not partake of the tree of life again forever. In other words, they were in a fallen state. If they had eaten of the tree of life, they would have eternally been in that state and never have been able to be redeemed. But out of God's goodness... Out of God's mercy, out of God's love, he drove them out of the garden so they would not eat of that tree. A lot of times we look as God driving them out of the garden, as God being harsh, or God being mean, or God not understanding. 
I'm here to tell you sometimes what looks like God is being harsh is really the mercy of God being put on your life. Sometimes God's mercy looks harsh. Sometimes God's mercy looks like it's a, but God loves us and wants to protect us. And because of his love for Adam and Eve, he drove them out of the garden so they could not partake of that tree and end up in an eternal state. But if that's all that God did, if that's all that God provided, they would have been in a mess. But God has provided a way in his love and mercy Not only did he provide provision for salvation and redemption, but he also provided access to him again, and in through him came the tree of life, who was Christ Jesus. Thank God that he provided a way. And sometimes we think that salvation is the end all of our life. I'm telling you there's more. Listen, salvation is the primary thing. How many know we all need Christ? You're here this morning, you need Jesus. That's the primary thing. But it's not just salvation. God wants us to walk in that salvation and live a life in freedom that we have never known before. And he has provided for us that freedom in life. 1 John 5, 3 says, For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. Man, when you love Jesus, his commandments are not burdensome this morning. But I like what verse 12 says. And, and uh, has, for, he has, for what he has given us in his son, he who has the son has life. And he who does not have the son does not have life. In other words, he who has the son has life. He that does not have the son does not have life. And it's interesting there, that word has in the Greek, it means to embrace, to take hold to. In other words, take hold to in the heart is what it means. He that has the son has life. He that has taken hold of, he that has embraced, he that has taken on has life. The word life there is interesting because it means the full spectrum of life. It means life in body, soul, and spirit. It means eternal life. It means life in the, in, in the flesh. It means life in our daily life. It's the full spectrum of life. It's just not eternal life, but it's life to the fullness. How many know God wants you to have life in this world? How many know God wants you to be blessed? God wants you to be happy. God wants you to live in freedom. God wants you to have a joy about your Christian life. God wants you to live in freedom. He wants your spirit to be free. He wants you to be sensitive to the things of God and the things of God. How many know that he wants to break off of you some of those things that have held you back in the fullness of what God wants to do? How many know God wants to rid those things in your life that has kept you from the fullness of his will in your life? How many know he wants to free you from the things that have been passed on from generation to generation? He wants to break anger and sadness and depression and break these things off of you so that you can walk in the newness of life. He that has the Son has life. It means he embraces it. He takes hold of it. In other words, every day he wakes up and it's like just as you would get up and take a shower. Just as you would put on your clothes, so should you wake up every day and put on Christ. Take hold of Jesus. Take hold of life. For when you take him up, you've taken up life. And so God wants you to live in freedom. 
God wants you to live in the freedom that comes with that. Jesus is the tree of life. You say, well, how do you know that Jesus is the tree of life? Well, Acts chapter 5 and verse 30 tells us, the God of our Father raised up Jesus, who you slew and hanged him on a tree. 1 Peter 2.24 says, who, who his own self bore our sins in his own body on the tree that we, having died the sins, might live for righteousness like sheep that have gone astray, now returned to the shepherd and the one who is the overseer of our souls. In other words, Jesus bore our sins on the cross. He bore those sins on the cross and his own body on that tree. Why? So that we might have life and have that life abundantly. In other words, that tree that he died on is the tree of life this morning. Is the tree of hope for us. The cross is the tree and the hope of all the world. You can't find it outside of the cross this morning. And so he is the tree of life. He is everything that is life. Jesus is the tree of life. If you remember that in the garden, the first tree, the knowledge of good and evil, the first tree was forbidden to be eaten from. Now that Jesus has come and resurrected, he said, taste and see that the Lord is good. All that is willing, let him come. All has been made ready. In other words, eat as much as you want. Come to the tree of life as often as you want. Eat from the tree of life as often as you can. For there is life in the tree of life who is Christ Jesus. That's a great promise to us this morning. That should encourage us this morning. The tree of life. What is the tree of life? What is partaking of the tree of life? It's lining up our faith with God's word and understanding of biblical truth. That's the tree of life. To take the tree of life each day, what you're doing is you're lining your faith up with God's word and the understanding of truth and of his truth. How many know there's only one truth? Y'all help me. How many know there's not many truths? As Pilate said to Jesus, what is truth? How could a man want to know what truth is when truth was standing right before him. And the truth is, there is absolute truth. There is absolute truth. Christianity is not a way to God. It is the way to God. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but through Christ Jesus and through him. There's no other way. I said there's no other way. That is truth. That is life. How is that proven? I'll tell you how that's proven. Because of the resurrection. Because he lives today. He's alive. He's living. And he's living in us. That's an empty tomb. There's a tomb that there was a body that was there that was resurrected from the dead. And the Bible said he appeared to over 500 before he ascended to the right hand of the Father. He sent his Holy Spirit as a deposit in our life. You know what that deposit is? It is the down payment on the fact that one day Jesus will return. Woo! Hey. He's returning, and the Holy Spirit, the life-giving power of the Holy Spirit is a deposit into your life as a promise that one day he will return for his church. He's not disconnected from the world. He's not disconnected from us. 
God's not taken by surprise by all that's happening in the world. He is not fretting. He is not scared. He is not looking to be overturned by men or overturned by other religions. He is patiently waiting for the Father to say, go get your church and wrap this thing up. That's truth. You don't have to believe it. That's truth. I mean, it's, 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 you know how I know it's truth? It's truth because God can take somebody that has been destroyed by this life and this world, and God can take them and put his spirit in them and save them and change their life, and an old man can die and a new man can resurrect. I'm telling you, what changed me wasn't me. Y'all going to make me old school preach this morning. No, no. Let me tell you, nothing could change me but the power of Jesus. Nothing broke the bondages of the flesh in my life but Jesus. And the Holy Spirit broke the bondages of the flesh that was in my life. You want freedom? That's fine. I mean, God gives us things that help support what he does. There's nothing wrong with self-help. There's nothing wrong with a little bit of of self-help and those folks that are educated to help us walk through certain things. I'm not dismissing any of that, but what I'm telling you is that if you're going to live in true freedom, you're only going to find freedom in Christ Jesus. It's not going to be in a book. It's not going to be in another man, but it's going to be in the one who created you, made you, and if he created you and made you, he can sure fix you. Somebody say amen. Am I right about it? And through the tree of life. And the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and the tree of life is all about how we approach God. I mean, we have the free will to choose. You don't have to eat of the tree of life. It's all about how we approach God. What is your approach to God? How are you going to approach relationship with God? How are you going to approach Him? While the tree of life, in other words, Just as the scripture I read to you, it says, I set before you death and life, blessing and cursing, that both you and your descendants may have life. In other words, you sit here with a free will this morning to serve him or not serve him. You have a free will to make choices in your life. You have a free will to make those choices, but you do not. You do not have the right to the consequences that come with the choices that we make. Because with every choice, there is a reaction. Every choice, there is a consequence. It's either good or it's bad. I don't know about you, how many of y'all ever made bad choices in your life? I've made a few, one or two. (laughs) We all know that's not true. But even in the midst of bad choices, even in the midst of making bad choices, even in the midst of of making mistakes in our life, or carrying baggage of the past, or carrying decisions that we should have made that were better in our life. How many know that even then, Christ makes a way for us? How many know that he'll take the thing that has tried to destroy you and turn it around to be used for your good? How many know he'll take what the devil meant to tear you up and destroy you and turn it around and make it a victory song in your life? Why? 
Because we serve a God who loves to restore his people. He loves to take what the world has discounted and set aside and restore them back to life and bring newness in their life and get them on the road of fulfilling all that God has for them in their life. But let's talk a little bit about it this morning. First of all, I want to talk about Christ and the tree of life. Christ just doesn't provide salvation and redemption, which is primary, as I said, but he also provides freedom. There's a passage in 1 John chapter 4 and verse 9. It says, this is the love of God, which was manifested toward us. How many know the love of God's been manifested toward you? That God has sent his only begotten son into the world that ye might have life through him. What does that mean? It means to enjoy life. It, the word means to be actively living in, blessed, in a blessed way. It means to live restored. It means to a life of authority. In other words, that we might have life through him. That we may walk in authority. That we may walk in blessing. That it's not just salvation to get to heaven, but there is an authority that the believer has to live in this life and a freedom that he has given each of us. In other words, you don't have to be saved and walk and be broke, busted, and disgusted. <laughs> How many? <laughs> I mean, I'm telling you, there's some Christians I wouldn't want to be around. Have you met them? I've met a few. I mean, they're glad they're going to heaven, but the thing is, they don't live in freedom. They walk in bitterness, unforgiveness. They don't have joy. They don't, they don't walk in a freedom that is a liberty, that the joy of the Lord is on their face. They don't walk with a joyfulness that God brings when you're saved, but they walk in the bondages of the choices. They, they, in other words, they want to be saved, but they keep reaching for that tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They keep wanting to do it their way, walk their way, how they want to do it, how they perceive this should be done. In my opinion, they say. In my opinion. In other words, but that's not what Jesus died for. Jesus died that you may have life in him. It's not in you, it's in him. Which means you do it his way. Oh, I don't know if I got the right crowd this morning. Maybe so. The tree of life. Christ in the tree of life. Now, this tree of life is interesting. When you do a study on the tree of life throughout the scripture, 12 times the tree of life is mentioned in the Bible. It's mentioned twice in the book of Genesis. It's located, the Bible tells us, in the Garden of Eden, which suggests that this tree is not just a tree that is there, but it's a tree that's full, that was useful to Adam and Eve in the garden. In other words, there was the promise of supernatural provision that was in this tree. Adam and Eve ate the fruit of this tree. Because of that, they would not have grown old or died. They were created to live forever. Uh, to do so likely, they needed to eat from the tree of life. In other words, they were created to live forever. They were created to live out of the garden that God had created. I believe the fruit of the trees of that garden, including the tree of life, 
was all that was needed to sustain them and to keep them and allow them to live the rest of their life. It was a tree that they lived and ate from that gave them the sustenance to live. And once again, when they sinned, they were banned from the garden, separated from the tree. And now they're subject to not just physical death, but they were subject to spiritual death. But the Bible says that in heaven, we again will eat from that tree of life. The Bible says that God put, a, put a, uh, a cherubim that guarded the tree of life. They were drove out of the garden. The Bible says the next time we see those trees of life, they are in Revelation 22. We see that they are in heaven. The Bible tells us in Revelation 2-7 that he that overcomes shall eat of the tree of life. There will be a day when that will be restored again. When we get to heaven, just like Adam and Eve, we again will eat from the tree of life. There'll be a restoration of what Adam lost. There'll be a complete restoration of what sin had done to Adam and Eve and the separation that they had in the garden. Now what is interesting interesting is that in Revelation 22, the descriptions of the tree of life is interesting. Matter of fact, we have the description of the tree of life in the book of Ezekiel chapter 47 and verse 12. It gives us a full description of what the tree of life is. In other words, one of the Bible commentators, one of my favorite, William Hendrickskin, he said this of the tree of life, that the tree of life is collective. In other words, he believes that the tree of life was not just one tree, but it was multiple trees. That's why he says that when we read in Revelation 22, that when we see the river that runs through heaven, that on each side there were multiple trees of life who produced 12 different fruits of each kind from each tree. In other words, in heaven, there's a full restoration of what was in the Garden of Eden. And so in studying the tree of life, there's an ancient Hebrew and Jewish tradition about the tree of life. Now, I want to share that with you. The ancient Hebrews and Jews believe something interesting about the tree of life. Now, we don't know what kind of tree it was. The Bible never tells us what kind of tree it was, just like we don't know what kind of tree Adam and Eve ate from. We all know that they ate the fruit of something. We see it all, y'all, I mean, we always draw it as an apple. They always ate the apple. And uh, I don't know, the apple gets the bad deal, I guess. He gets the bad rap all the time. But I'm not too sure that it was an apple tree. And we're not too sure what the tree of life was. But there is an ancient Jewish and Hebrew tradition that, that they truly believe that the tree of life, the tree of life literally was an olive tree. Matter of fact, the Mishnah, which is what is used to teach and train young Jewish men about the oracles of God, in the Mishnah, there is a description that quotes out of the Psalms that talk about that, that they believe that in the garden that the, uh, that the olive tree was the tree that was eaten from in the garden. Now, we don't know that. I don't know that for sure. I'm not telling you that it was an olive tree. I'm just telling you what Jews believe and why they believe that. But if you begin to look at it, it kind of begins to make a little bit of sense. It's something that you can consider. Many scholars and Jews truly believe that the tree of life was the olive tree. Matter of fact, there are some Jewish writers that truly believe that it is. How many's ever heard of Jonathan Kahn? Jonathan Kahn has wrote many books on Jewish history. He is a Jew himself, and uh, he wrote The Harbingers. He himself believes that the Garden of Eden's tree was an olive tree. And there are many other scholars. I've been researching this week, trying to find many of those who have written. But here's what, I, here's what matters. 
Whether it was an olive tree or what, sometimes God does. Romans chapter 1 verse 20 says this. It says, it says for, since, for since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. You say, well, what does that scripture say? That scripture tells us this, that sometimes God will leave remnants of creation that are a picture of his invisible nature. And when we see that and we study that, we see the nature of God through those things. How many know that you can study the eagle and see the attributes of God through the eagle? How many know that you can study the flower and see the attributes of God through the flower? So can you look at the olive tree and see the attributes of life that come from Jesus and God and bring and obtain uh, some principles of life through what we do not see. God reveals to us his eternal power. And why does God do that? God says that man is without excuse. Why? Because he has creation. Creation in itself is a testimony to God. How I many you know when I got saved, creation looked different to me? I don't know about the rest of y'all, but when I got saved, I began to see through a different lens. Creation looked different. The trees were more beautiful. The clouds looked better. Life looked more, more like worth living. Everything changed in my life. There was a newness and a freshness, and I could see the hand of God painted all over the canvas of this world. And if you're born again this morning, you'll wake up every day and every sunset, every sunrise, every bird that flies over, every waterfall, every river, every stream is an example of the goodness and the love of God. Why? I'm hustling, y'all. I'm going to get there. But we're going somewhere this morning. But through the olive trees, we can still, listen, the olive tree today still exists. And you know the olive tree today is, the, is one of the most rejuvenating uh, trees. It is, one, it is a tree that carries the most benefits. I mean, it's the benefit to our human nature, our human body. There's benefits to our digestive system. It prevents diseases. Matter of fact, it's one of the most beneficial fruits of any tree on the earth today. Now, wouldn't it be just like God to leave a remnant of the olive tree as a picture of the tree of life? Who is the tree of life? It's Christ Jesus. Now, don't go out of here and say, Pastor says, that in the Garden of Eden, it was an olive tree and get in a fight with somebody. Get in a fight with a Presbyterian or a Methodist. There's already enough rumors about us. I don't need any more. But what I'm doing is, is I'm drawing your attention to the symbolism the symbolism of this tree that had healing properties. The symbolism of this tree that carried the symbolism of the revelation of the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Jesus, like the olive tree, is the symbol of life, right? Jesus is the symbol of God's knowledge. Jesus is the word made manifest. Is that not right? Just like the, the, the olive tree can be a picture of God, Jesus is the word. Jesus is life. Jesus is the word of God made manifested. He is made, he is God in the flesh. He is God on the earth. In the beginning was the word and the word was God. The word was with God. He is the very mirror of who God is. He's the mirror of the word of God of which we read from today. And he is, the, he is life. 
And there are some, some reasons to consider the possibility of the olive tree as the tree of life. But ultimately, it's Jesus. First of all, I want us to look at this. The olive branch was a symbol of life to Noah. Listen to this. In Genesis chapter 8 and verse 11, the Bible says that a dove had returned. Noah had sent out a raven. Then he sent out a dove. The first dove he sent out came back and did not have anything. The second dove he sent out, the second dove came out, and in her mouth an olive leaf plucked off, and he knew that the waters had receded from the earth. The olive tree, it was a picture to Noah that life was reborn. It was a picture to Noah that life had regained itself. And, and, and it was a tree. You know why? Because doves don't waddle in the mud. And so it was a sign of life. It was a picture and sign of life to Noah. Now, what is interesting is that the olive tree is mentioned 27 times in Scripture. Olive oil is mentioned 160 times. And uh, Noah was on the ark for 370 days. The dove brought back an olive branch. It was a sign that the earth had come back to life again. Why did God use the olive tree to speak to Noah? Why was it an olive branch? Why wasn't it a palm tree? Why wasn't it something else? Why didn't he do nothing? Listen, I don't believe there's nothing in Scripture that's random. I don't believe God does anything by chance or by action or by circumstance. God does everything with a meaning. I believe everything in this word, there's a meaning to it. There's an expression. Now, just because we don't know it doesn't mean that it doesn't have meaning. But there's an expression. You know how I know that? Because the Bible says all scripture is given by inspiration of God. Is a profitable to doctrine, reproof, and, and, and correction. For what? For the instruction in righteousness. Now, here's, here's what is interesting. You know, the, the olive tree has always been a tree that's been prominent to Israel. It has always been included uh, outside uh, on the outside, it's very ordinary. On the outside, it's like every other tree in its appearance and in its size. But here's something about the olive tree. The olive tree is remarkably strong and resilient. It can endure extreme climates and droughts. It is extremely long-lived. Matter of fact, there is a tree that is in Cyprus that is estimated to be 3,000 years old. There are many trees that are in the Middle East that are olive trees. Some can be traced back 5,000 years. Now, I don't know how they do that or the truth of it, but the truth is an olive tree is long-living. It's resilient. It resists this drought. What was the branch saying to Noah? This is what it was saying. My judgment over, uh, over the earth and my mercy and life have freely been given back to mankind. In other words, God brought judgment, but now through the olive branch to Noah, it was a sign that new life has been given back to mankind. Life has been restored. Life is renewed. What is Jesus? Jesus is a picture of life. He's a picture of the newness of life. Jesus is a picture of life. Even when God's judgment wants to come upon man, Jesus stood between God's judgment and you and I, and he was the new life that was brought to us. It's a sign to the world that there is hope in this world. Listen to me. Every blood-bought, born-again Christian should be a picture of life to everyone who is without Christ. You know why? We are the life and the light of the world. 
Jesus in us. Everything Jesus touches comes to life. That olive branch told Noah, new life has begun. God transformed him from a society of death into a society of life. Thank you, Jesus. Noah was beginning new, and new life had come. It was an incredible picture. The tree of life was a sign of peace. Now think about this for a moment. How many of y'all have gardens? Anybody have gardens at your house? Not anymore. My goodness, this sermon is for you all. <laughs> How many know the Garden of Eden was probably the most famous of all gardens? We know that, right? It was a garden. Listen, this typically a picture of earthly paradise. A garden is the image of, of the soul and innocence. Garden is a picture of fertility. It is a picture that represents happiness. It represents peace. In other words, a garden was used to create a peaceful atmosphere where there is rest and revitalization. That's where a garden is. Listen, that's why the Bible says the tree of life was in the midst of the garden. In other words, it was the center of the garden. You know what that means? That means the tree of life being the center of the garden, it, 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 it made sure of one thing, that there was peace and harmony always in that garden. That in that garden there would always be revitalization. There would always be life. There would always be peace. It was a picture of the tree of life. Let me tell you something. Jesus in the midst of our life is true peace. When Jesus is the center of who we are, Everything around us comes in order. He is the peace that passes all understanding. He is peace. Jesus is peace. And the Garden of Eden in the midst of that, that tree of life produced peace. And that's what Jesus does in our life. He is the tree of life in the sense that when he is in the center of your life, your life has perfect peace. There's no chaos. There's no craziness. Not in the center of your life. I'm telling you, chaos could be around you, but it's not in you. You're in the midst of me. There's no chaos. See, I can go to a family function and all of them be acting crazy. You know what I'm saying? All of them be acting goofy. All of them be messing. I could be in the middle of the world. And all kinds of chaos breaking out, all kinds of goofiness going on. But while I'm there, if Christ is in me, in the midst of me, on the outside may be chaos, but on the inside there is perfect peace. That is why you can go through a storm and in you can be peace. That is why you can go through a trial and in you can be peace. I hope you all hearing me this morning. There is a tree of life we can eat from this morning, and it is Christ Jesus. He is the peace that passes all understanding. In other words, he's a peace because God's in control of everything. There's harmony. There's life. That dove brought back the symbol of peace and the symbol of life. Isn't it interesting? On July 4, 1776, there was a resolution that was passed when they accepted the great seal of the United States of America. The picture is an eagle grasping olive branches in its right talon. Thirteen branches represented the 13 colonies. It was a picture of peace in the midst of a nation. 
In other words, it was a picture of a nation that decided that it was going to live and walk by peace. Praise God. Praise God that we are a nation that seeks peace. Praise God, if Jesus be lifted up, all men will be drawn unto him. i got to hurry. Number three, the olive oil used was used to light the holy place. The olive oil that came out of the, of the olive tree brought life and light to the holy place. Exodus chapter 28, verses 20 and 21. It produced light for the holy place. In other words, what does that speak of? In other words, the oil that came out of the, uh, out of the olive tree was an oil that was used to produce light. It was an oil that was produced. In other words, when the, when the holy place was lit up, then what, could, then what could be done? It means that this priest could go about serving the Lord, about seeing what was lit and inside the holy place. Listen, the, uh, Jesus as being the tree of life, he is the light that is inside of us. And he is the light. What does he do? He brings understanding to us. He brings uh, spiritual truths to light in our heart. He brings truths that are living in us. In other words, we're able to see things like God sees them. For he is the burning oil. Now, interesting, light. Did you know light always overcomes and exposes darkness? <laughs> I said when light comes into the world, it exposes darkness. It exposes what's in the darkness. It exposes what's in the dark. Light, light also is stronger than darkness. How many know light is stronger than darkness? God is stronger than Satan. God is stronger than the devil. God rules over darkness. And we know that light is stronger than darkness. We also know light is good. Say light is good. How do we know light is good? The Bible said, and darkness covered the face of the earth and the deep. Listen, and the earth was without form and ver void. In other words, darkness covered the earth. But then what did God do? He said, let there be light. And darkness was no more. In other words, light overcame the darkness. Light was, overcame the darkness and darkness had to flee. And God called it good. In other words, light has been an incredible picture. Jesus called himself the light of the world. He's the incarnated word of God, John 1 says. The word of God who came as a light to enlighten all men of his goodness. He is the light of all the world. Now, here's what's interesting. What does it mean to eat from the tree of life? And I'm going to close. I'm going to give you a couple of things. Number one, to eat from the tree of life, you are now a son and not a slave. To eat from the tree of life, you are now a son and not a slave. John 17, 3 says, now this, eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom ye have sent. The word know there, which it means this in the Greek. It means to recognize, to understand, and to understand completely. What the light of God, the result of the tree of life is this. When you eat from the tree of life, the first result is, is fellowship with God. When you eat of the tree of life, you are having fellowship with God. 
When you have fellowship with God, it says in John 17, I just read, that you have eternal life, that you may know the one true God, Jesus Christ, in whom you have sent. The word know there is to recognize, to understand, to, to, to understand completely. In other words, when you eat of the tree of life, God gives you understanding. You have fellowship with God. You know him. You recognize him. You understand completely. How many know that all revelation comes from God? God is able to show you in the word of God. He's able to open and show you truths that maybe you did not know. And so with the results in fellowship with God. Number two, ye are a son and not a slave. Many serve God out of duty. Much like someone who is a servant, but a slave does what's expected of them, what is required of them. In other words, they, they don't do it out of love. They do it out of the obligation of what they're supposed to do. But a son serves because he, he is part of the family. In other words, as a child of God, I love God because I'm part of his family. I'm his son. I'm a child of God. I am faithful because of the love for the Father, because I love Christ. And so I look at myself this morning, not just as somebody who's a slave who has to do Christian duty. I look at myself as a son this morning. You should look at yourself as a daughter this morning who God has redeemed. You're part of his family. And when you eat of the tree of life, you'll live like a daughter and a son and not a slave. Galatians 4, 7, therefore you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir to all of God through Christ Jesus. 2 Corinthians 6, 18 says, I will be the father to you and you shall be my sons and daughters. So number one, results in fellowship with God. Number two, you are a son and not a slave. Number three, if you eat from the tree of life, the last thing is is that it will bring spiritual order to your life. Listen, here's the key in moving forward in in freedom. The reason some people can't find freedom is because spiritual order is out of whack in their life. (laughs) This is why some folks aren't free. Adam, would you come? God has designed us in three parts. He's designed us body, soul, and spirit. He's designed us body, soul, and spirit. In the book of Romans chapter 7, I want to read this to you. Romans chapter 7, verses 21, beginning verse 21, I find then a law that is evil present with me, the one who wills to do good, for I delight in the law of God according to the inward man, but I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind, bringing me into the captivity to the law of sin, which is my members." 
O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? I thank God that through Christ Jesus our Lord. So then, with my mind, I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. In other words, Paul was saying, listen, I recognize there is a war going on in my flesh. I have a choice to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which satisfies my flesh, or I have a choice to live off the tree of life, which livens my spirit. As a born-again Christian, when you get saved, your spirit is redeemed. It's justified in salvation. In other words, the Bible says in Romans 3, 24 and 5, 1, it says that when you begin to be a born-again Christian, your spirit is made alive in Christ. Your spirit was dead. But when you gave your life to Jesus, all of a sudden, your spirit came alive. Until then, you were flesh, soul, and body, or spirit. Your spirit was dead. Your flesh ruled your life. Your flesh determined what you were going to do. You ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You made your own choices. But when Jesus redeemed you, saved you, it flipped. Now your spirit is alive and your flesh has come under submission. When you eat of the tree of life, there is spiritual order that comes into your life. You now longer, no longer walk by the flesh, but you walk by the spirits. Because the Spirit of God has quickened your mortal body. And now you live to life. Your spirit has redeemed. But not only has your spirit been redeemed, but your soul must be restored. Whew. Listen, when your spirit is made alive, you understand spiritual truth. You're able to discern what's right and what's wrong. You're able to tune in to God. Why? Because you're eating of the tree of life. In other words, you pick up the frequency from heaven, not a frequency from this world. So distraction, confusion, and fear has no bearing on you. Why? Because you're walking after the Spirit. You're walking after Christ. Spiritual order is taking place in your life. But not only is the Spirit made alive, but the soul is restored. Spiritual order is that the soul be restored. What is your soul? Your mind, will, and emotions. Your mind, will, and emotions. Your mind is how you think and how you reason. Your will is your choices. Your emotions is what you believe and feel and remember. Lord, restore my soul. Let my mind, will, and emotions be ordered of the Lord. Lord, renew my mind. Let my old thinking die. And let new life come alive in the way that I think and the way I reason. My soul is restored. My emotions is restored. How I feel. I no longer live by my feelings. I no longer guided by emotions. Because my soul is under the subjection of the leading of the Spirit of God. I'm led by the Spirit. I'm not led by what I feel or led by what, what I want to do. I'm led by the Spirit of God. I will not let my emotions override me. When I'm offended, I will not let my emotions lash out. I will not be bitter. I will not hold grudges. I will not hold anything. Why? Because my mind is under control, under the submission of the Lordship of Jesus Christ. 
And then finally, the body is brought under submission. Stand with me if you would. Listen. This is where most Christians live, is the fight between the appetites of the flesh and walking in the Spirit. If you're going to eat of the tree of life, the tree of life will set your life in spiritual order. I want to close by reading Galatians chapter 5, a few scriptures out of that, that wraps up Galatians chapter 5. We read earlier verse 13. It says, For you, brethren, have been called to liberty, only not to do not to use the li- your liberty as an opportunity for the flesh. But if you go down the beginning of verse 16, it says this. Then I say, walk in the spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh, for the flesh lusts against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another. So that you do the things that you wish. Look what it says. When the flesh overrides the spirit, you do what you want to do. Y'all with me? Walk in the spirit so what? So that you do not what? Fulfill the lust of the flesh. Who's leading you this morning? Is it the flesh or is it the spirit? What has control this morning? The flesh or the spirit? Is your soul restored this morning? Is your mind on Christ? Is your will on Jesus? Is your choices godly? Is your emotions under control? Is your body under submission? But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. But the works of the flesh are evidence, which are, and it gives you a list, adultery, fornication, uncleanliness, lewdness, I'm not going to go through all that. Y'all know what it is. It's simple. It's sin. Envy, murderous, drunkenness, rivalries. And like of which I tell you beforehand, just as I have told you, who who practice such things cannot inherit the kingdom of God. But in verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. And those who are in Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. How many of you have crucified the flesh this morning with its passions and desires? I'm just reading the Bible, y'all. Is that all right? If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. In other words, don't walk in self-righteousness. Walk in humility. I want to tell you, if the church can get this right, we'll change the world. Because many of you, even though you claim Christ, you still are run by the flesh. Your fleshly desires are overrules what is right. This is rampant. You know how I'm rampant? Because my office is full every week of people that are struggling. Listen, they're struggling with the flesh. I don't desire the fact that they love God and that they're born again. But what happens is, as they're letting the flesh rule their life, and I'm here to tell you that to eat of the tree of life, you put spiritual order into your life. 
Until this is dealt with, you can't go any further. You can't deal with any other issue in your life in freedom until first you get this right. Until you first desire that you're going to be led by the Spirit of God and not by the flesh. So I want to close this morning with this. I want to give you an opportunity to say, God, first of all, if you're here and you don't know Christ as your personal Savior, I want you to know today's your day. Today's the greatest day of your life. Me and Lord spent a couple days this week. We went away for two or three days. And I drove past the church I got saved in. You know why I did that? Because I just want the devil to remind the devil that I'm still serving and I'm still worshiping and I still love God. I want to remind him that when I buried my sin there 32 years ago, they're still buried there. I didn't take them back up or pick them back up and walk with them again. I walked on with Christ. I left them there, right there at 1411 Antioch Road, Johnson City, Tennessee. Antioch Baptist Church, 10 minutes to 11, Classroom 102, Paul Garland speaking on the Apostle Paul in Acts 9. I nailed right there in that Sunday school classroom, gave my life to Jesus, went upstairs, walked the center aisle, gave my life to Jesus. When I walked out of that church, I was a new creation in Christ Jesus, and something in me changed, just like something in you changed. You know what happened? There was a flip going on. My flesh was in control. Now my spirit came alive and alive in Christ. Now my flesh was secondary and my spirit was first. And that's what needs to happen to you this morning. You've let the flesh run your life. You've reacted to life instead of walked in the peace of God. You thought you could fix it. Only God can fix it. Stop putting your trust in yourself. Stop trying to do it your way. I know, preacher. I heard it before. I heard it before. Well, hear it again. Ollie, ollie, income free. But most of us, we do the hokey pokey Christianity. You put your right foot in, or that's my left. Put your right foot in. And your right foot out, your right foot in, and you shake it all about. You do a hokey pokey and you turn yourself around and you think you're living for God. That don't work, so you put your left foot in and your right arm in and your left arm. You keep putting things in and pulling them out. Keep putting, them, putting some of it in and some of it out. You live for God for a month and then you back off again. I got the right, I'm telling you, this is where people are. They'll come and get saved and born again, and you see them in church for a month, and all of a sudden, the first trial they get, they run off, and you don't see them for two months. Quit picking the flesh up. Quit picking up what Jesus has crucified. Run with it, baby. Put your whole self in. Thank you for joining us for River Valley Community Church's podcast. If you feel led to give, you can click on the donation link in the description or visit our website at rivervalleymadison.com. If you've enjoyed the podcast, you can subscribe or share with your friends. Thanks again for listening. God bless you.